Amen, amen. Listen, one of my wife's favorite qualities about me is probably that when I get very overwhelmed, I check out. That was sarcastic. She's probably like, that's the thing I don't like about you the most. But if there's anybody out there like me, when I have um, too much on my plate, instead of taking small bites, I just push the plate away altogether, right? I get so overwhelmed sometimes if I have to like do this, do that, do that. I got so much going on. What I'll find myself doing is sitting on the couch watching The Office for the 20th time in a row. And I'm like, Dominic, you have a million things to do. Why are you not doing any of them? Well, it's because I have a million things to do. I'm overwhelmed. Has anybody been overwhelmed before? Right? We've been overwhelmed. Oftentimes I get overwhelmed when I look around me, not even in the world, but just in my own life. And I see all of the need, all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the, all of the people that are going through so many difficult situations. You know, just in the past three or four weeks, um, you know, I've, I've interacted with people who have needs of upwards of like $20,000 combined. They say, listen, I have all of this need in my life and I wish that I could meet all of those needs, but I don't have $20,000 to give away. And it's overwhelming at times to look around and say, man, I'm called by God. I know God wants to use me. I know I'm here for a purpose, but I can't do everything. I can't touch everyone. I can't reach every need. I can't do all of these things. And oftentimes as Christians, we might feel overwhelmed that we don't have what we need to be the change that we know we should be in our life. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Man, I feel that way all the time. And I want to bring you some good news today because the reality is you and I, we don't need to necessarily change the world. What you and I need to be really good at is finding the one person in our life, finding the one area where we can serve more, finding that one area where we can give more, where we can make an impact. And in that one interaction, you can change the world. I want to show you, watch this in Matthew um, chapter 25, verse 35. This is what Jesus says, and we're going to read a little bit of scripture verse here, but I love what Jesus says here. He says, at the end of all things, this is what's going to happen. He says, for I was hungry and you, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one, everyone say one, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Everyone say me. See, when we reach out to that one person, when we feel, feel that one need, when we take care of that one thing that's in our life, the coolest thing happens. It's as if we are serving Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't need us to fix every problem in the world, but he needs every Christian in the world to fix one problem. Because listen, if everybody in the church fixed one problem, if we served in one area, if we gave, and if everybody did their part, there wouldn't be many issues in the world today. But here's the unfortunate reality. There's a statistic that says that 10 to 20% of people in a congregation do 100% of the work, which means this, that about, I know it's not, it's not about our church. Our church is 100% of the people, you know. This is, this is other churches. But what, what, what they say is that there's about 10% of people that sit in the seats on Sunday that serve in kids' church. 
that serve as ushers, that, that give their tithe and offerings, that are active and engaged in volunteering into the church. And what they're saying is that only a small handful of people do 100% of the work. And I'm not sharing this with you to, to basically tell you that we need your help here in this, in this building. We do, but that's not it. It's deeper than that because what that tells me is that if you don't serve at church in these walls, you're not doing it out there. If you can't come in here and you can't touch a need, fill a need, give, if you can't give your tithe and offering, man, you, you're not giving to anybody out there, right? It's, it, it's, it's indicative of what we do outside of this place. And I believe that there is probably less than 10% of Christians today that are doing 100% of the things that God wants the church to do today. But man, what if every single Christian, what if we didn't try to meet 5, 10, 15, 20 different needs in our life? What if every single Christian, we didn't have to serve as an usher and then run over to kids' church and then do that and then do this, but what if all of us collectively picked one thing? We found that one person. We found that, that one call, and we were really good at that one thing. I believe that as Christians, we would stop being overwhelmed with things and focus on the one. We could see this world change for God. We could see the power of God transform this world. And so today we're going to talk about the one. Everyone say the one. The one. I got three things that I want to tell you about um, before we get to the end of the message today. But before we start, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your leadership, your guidance. We thank you for just all that you've done in our life. We ask, Holy Spirit, right now that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation into this room according to your word in Ephesians 1.17, that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would leave this place differently, not because we sang some good worship songs or heard a good message, but we would leave differently because we met with you, Jesus that we were impacted by your presence, by your person, and that you would radically change our lives. We love you. We bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said. Amen. Here's the idea today. Serve one, serve him. You serve the one, you serve him. You don't need to feel insignificant. If you touch that one person at work or at school or maybe in your neighborhood, man, that's as if you were serving Jesus himself. That's kind of powerful, right? That'll change the way you look at that person at the office or at your job or whatever the case is. When you serve one, you're serving Jesus. But here's, here's the first thing I need uh, us to understand about the one, right? First thing is this, is that you have to love him. You have to love Jesus. You have to love Jesus. I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe 12, 13, nine. I don't remember how it was. Maybe mom, you can tell me. But I remember I was standing at home plate. The bases were loaded, right? This was every little kid's like dream. Bases were loaded. I was standing at home play, up to bat, and I'm like, man, I'm going to hit a grand slam. I can't wait for this. This is going to be so excited. And I remember the first pitch came, and it was really high into the outside. I mean, we were little kids, so these pitches were terrible. But it was high into the outside. And I was so eager to hit a grand slam, I swung out of my shoes. I did the whole, you know, when kids swing really hard, they spin too, you know? Oh, jeez, messed up the carpet and everything. But I did one of those, right? I did really big sw swing, spun, and everyone kind of did that, like, oh, that was terrible. You know, everyone gasped in the crowd, and I missed completely. It was terrible. I was so eager. You know, I was distracted because I, my friends were cheering for me. My whole family was in the, in the crowd. The moment was just kind of too big for me, to be honest, as a little kid. And so it, I got ahead of me, and then he, he pitched again, and again, it was high and outside. These pitchers were terrible, you know? They were also nine, but it's okay. High and outside. Big swing and a miss again. And I was so disappointed because I was seeing this dream that I had come crashing down 
only because I was so distracted by all of the different things that were going on. And I remember I, I was, I, my, you know, I'm right-handed, so my back was to third base. And when I did my second swing, you know, the, the, the full spin swing, I was turned and I looked at my coach. And then behind my coach, my dad was standing on the third baseline. And my dad was weird. He never would sit in the stands. He would always stand on the fence by himself like a loner. And I remember seeing him over there. And he kind of gave me one of these like little fist, fist bump things. And that was significant because me and my dad would always play and we would hit and stuff. And, and that was his way of telling me to focus on the ball. He would always say this. He'd be like, Dominic, watch the ball. Keep your eyes on the ball. Stop focusing on other things. So when I saw him do that, I said, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to put all of these other distractions out of my mind. I need to stop listening to my friends in the crowd. I need to focus on this ball. And if I can focus on this ball, I know that I'll be able to hit it. Sure enough, the third pitch came down, and again, you, you guessed it, high and outside, right? Terrible. They needed to bench this pitcher. He's awful. <laughs> high and outside, and again, I swung wildly, but the difference was I was focused. I made contact with that ball, center of the bat, and I'm telling you, that was probably the, the hardest struck ball I've ever hit in my life, even at nine years old, right? And that ball soared over the fence, and I had my first ever Grand Slam. It was such a cool moment. I was able to run around the bases, and it was so cool, right? Thank you, thank you, living my childhood dreams here on Sunday morning. But, but the point of this story is this, is that oftentimes as Christians, we can get so distracted by all of the other things going on in our life. There's so many things that need our attention. There's people that have needs. There's kids that need to be raised. There's, there's coworkers that are pouring out, you know, all of this junk on you because they know you love God. And so they're like, oh, I can tell you everything. You're my counselor now. Let me just throw up on you. And there's so many things in life that come at us that as oftentimes as Christians, it's distracting because we look at everything that's going on. And I'm here to tell you today, if you want to be a successful Christian, there's one thing, everyone say one thing. one thing. There's one thing that you need to be really good at, and that's loving Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all of these other things, everything else you can think of, everything that's floating out there in life will be added to you. It'll be taken care of. When we love him, when we're really good at loving Jesus. And if you don't hear another thing that I talk about today when I'm talking about serving or giving or doing all of these things, please hear this. Before you do anything else, you need to be in love with Jesus. Amen. You need to be in love with Jesus. And if you serve people, if you love people, if you give to people without first loving Jesus, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that all you're doing is making a bunch of noise. He says this, you can, you can move mountains with your faith, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. And this is what Christians, is, what we do. We, we try to insert these very practical things into our life because we realize that we're missing something. You know, I had a really interesting conversation with my friend not too long ago, and, and she was telling me that, man, I need to get to church. My kids need to get to church, right? We need to go to church. And, and church is a great place. You know, I love church. This is what I do. I do church, right? So church is awesome. But oftentimes we, we see this missing piece in our life and we say, oh, church will fix it. 
oh, maybe if I go volunteer, that'll fix it. Or maybe if I, maybe if I give you know, a turkey during Thanksgiving, that will fill this kind of void in my heart. And we, we try to insert these very practical things to do to make us feel better. But the reality is, is you can do everything that you want in this world. You can solve world hungry, hunger. You can you know, bring world peace. You can do everything you want. But if you don't love Jesus, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. You have to be in love with him. Colossians chapter one, verse 18 says this, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. I have a newsflash for you, okay? Don't get too mad at me. The world does not revolve around you. I know, it's so disappointing to learn that, right? It's awful. The same way our solar system revolves around the sun, you are not the sun and everything doesn't revolve around you, Everything in existence, everything in creation revolves around him. It's all meant for him. Everything's meant for Jesus. It's for him. You and I were created not so that we could have you know, a good life here. We were built and created for Jesus, for him. Everything in existence revolves around Jesus. And when you realize this and you realize that my life is meant to pursue this person of Jesus, it's not meant to make money or have a family or do these things. Those things are great. But when I, I realize that I exist to love him, that, is, that pursuit, that posture is where fulfillment comes. That pursuit, that posture is where you understand your role in meeting the needs of others. Because if you try to meet the needs of others without first loving Jesus, those, that thing that you're doing for others won't be as fulfilling as you think it is. It won't have the impact that you think it does. Before you do anything, you first must love him above all else, above everything. Love Jesus. Amen? Here's the second thing that we have to do. Love his bride. Love his bride. You know, a couple of weeks ago now, um, I was in Valley View, their Cleveland, Cleveland campus, and my phone was ringing, and I pulled up my phone, and I saw it was Pastor Marlon. Everybody, you guys know Pastor Marlon, right? Pastor Marlon, Michelle, you guys love them, right? And so I saw it was Pastor Marlon. Don't tell him this, because he doesn't know, but I, I declined the call. And I put it back in my pocket. Listen, it was during church. He called me during church. That's his fault, right? I was like telling people bios right after service. I was saying bye to people. I'm like, I can't talk now, and I declined it, put it away. And then after church, I got in my car and I called him and I was like, hey, sorry, you know, sorry I missed you. I didn't see it. You know, all that stuff. I'm just kidding. She said, hey, sorry I missed you. I just wanted to give you a call back. What's up? And he said, oh, nothing. Actually, I'm in the car right now with your wife and your kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> it was like kind of a weird moment. But he had called me because he was at Valley View and he needed a ride home. And my wife was leaving Valley View and she saw him and she said, hey, you could just come with me, right? And, and she doesn't like to drive. So she was like, you can come, but you have to drive. So he was driving my minivan with my wife and my three kids in it. And I didn't know, it was weird, right? And I called him back and I'm like, oh, okay, it was weird. But, <laughs> but how many know Pastor Marlin, right? He's such an amazing guy. And, and once I got over the weirdness of the moment, I completely trusted him with my family. Because I know that he loves not only me, he doesn't just love me, he loves my family. He loves my kids, he loves my wife. He would do anything to take care of my family. And this is what we have to realize, because oftentimes what happens is we become very critical, very hurtful, even judgmental sometimes, 
of the church, of the bride of Christ. And I'm not talking about just our church here. I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm talking about even people that don't necessarily believe the same things that we believe in, right? Because guess what? Jesus isn't just coming back for his non-denominational bride, right? There are people that love Jesus that are Catholic. There are people that love Jesus that are Methodist, that the bride of Christ transcends what we believe in in our little kind of different sects of, of Christianity, And what we have to be really good at is loving the bride of Christ. See, I grew up and I used to be very judgmental, very hard on church. You know, working in church, growing up in church, it's kind of easy to do that. If if I were to go to a different church, I would point out all of the things that they're doing wrong. Oh man, the pastor didn't preach well, or the worship team messed up, or they did this. And you're just very judgmental, right? But, But think about this. If Marlon was very nice to me, if he loved me, but he was very hard and judgmental and rude to my wife, man, I would feel differently about that phone call. If Marlon called me and said, hey, man, I love you so much, and then just like, continued to like, judge Emily and, and make fun of her and, and, and be sarcastic toward her, I would have told him, Marlon, you need to pull over right now because I don't trust you with my family. I don't trust you with my bride. And as Christians, this is what we do. We try to love Jesus, but we hate his bride. We love Jesus, but we judge his bride. We love Jesus, but we make fun and shame his bride. And, we, and we're condescend, condescending and we're, we're sarcastic toward his bride. How do you think that makes Jesus feel? He probably doesn't trust us much, not because we don't love him, but because we don't love the thing that he loves. And here's what we have to understand as, as Christians. If you want to have an impact, you have to begin to love the things that Jesus loves. He loves the church. You know, not too long ago, I was in, it was actually last, was it last week? I was in Dallas last week. I was at a friend's church and I preached at this conference in Dallas last week and we had a great time. But a couple months ago, he texted me and asked me, he was like, hey, would you come speak at this conference? And I said, I would love to, that would be awesome. And I began to pray and I said, God, what do you want me to speak about? What do you want me to talk about? And I began to ask God this, God, would you give me a really amazing word so that when I go down there, I can preach this awesome message and everyone would be like, wow, Dominic's such a great speaker. And then I could leave and not talk to him ever ever again. And I know it sounds silly, but but as I was praying this, I kind of caught myself and I said, well, wait a minute. I, I I shouldn't be asking for the bride to serve me. And in that moment, the Lord changed my heart and I stopped praying for a great message to preach and I started praying for them. I started praying for his church, their church, the church at large, the the church that's being persecuted right now, the the Christians that are hiding because because their government won't allow them to worship Jesus freely, right? I'm, I'm, I'm praying now for the bride of Christ, that the bride would be blessed. And I'll tell you something, I went down there and I didn't preach a great message, (laughs) I really didn't. I left there and, I, and they, they were like, they were so sweet. They were like, oh, you did so great. I'm like, guys, I did terrible. But the thing is, I didn't go down there to preach good. I went down there to love them, to serve them, to be a blessing to the bride. And this is what we have to understand as Christians. The church is very imperfect. You might have been hurt by the church. You might have had Christians in your past that have been mean and rude or whatever the case is and carrying hurt and offense but you can't love Jesus well if you don't love his bride. You have to develop a heart for the church. 
What I started doing is I, I scroll through Instagram sometimes, and I remember I saw this, uh, this girl. She was, I think she was like a Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness. She's like a little girl. She probably was like 15, and, and she started sharing this uh, scripture verse. I think it was from like the book of Enoch. It wasn't even from our canon of scripture, right? It was from like a different, uh, different uh, book. And she shared this verse from the book of Enoch, and she said, and the verse just talked about the mercies of the Lord. It said that the mercies of the Lord are good and faithful. He's always there, whatever the verse was. I don't remember what it was. I don't, re- I don't agree with a lot of what that little girl believes in, but I, what she said, I do believe in. And normally when I scroll through, I would be like, oh man, she's so wrong and just judge this little interaction I have. But I just liked the, the little video, double tap, you know, boop, boop, double tapped it. And I commented, amen, that's so good. Now, that's not probably gonna change that girl's life. But what it does in my heart is it changed my life. It changed me from being this judgmental, condescending person who finds everything that's wrong with the church and starts looking for the things that are right. And I say, oh man, you might not have everything together, but you have some things, and that's awesome. That's amazing. I love that you know about the mercies of the Lord. That's so powerful. And as the church, we have to start adjusting our perspective from stop judging the bride to loving the bride. I want to show you this in Nehemiah really quickly. I want to read this because if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, I know we've got some Bible scholars here. The book of Nehemiah really is the leadership book in the Bible. We see Nehemiah, oftentimes different church leaders, they go to Nehemiah to learn how to lead people better. Because what we see Nehemiah do is he returns to Jerusalem after they've been exiled and he rebuilds the walls and he takes on this incredible undertaking of a project to fulfill the will of the Lord in, the, in, the, in that time. But there's something about Nehemiah. Before he does anything awesome or does anything amazing, we have to understand first what his heart posture was. This is Nehemiah chapter one, verse three. This is at the very beginning of the book, right? It says this, And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity and the providence are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So this is Nehemiah receiving this news. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down, I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. Watch this. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. This is what Nehemiah did. Before he built a wall, before he led anyone, before he even got commissioned by the king to go and rebuild the walls, his heart was broken for the people of Israel. This is what I want to this is what I want you to hear today. Before you can love people well, your heart has to be for them. You have to genuinely care about people. The way Nehemiah cared about the church, listen, it can't be, hey, I want to go preach an awesome message or serve the church so I get rewarded and accolades and all this stuff. Like that's silly. You have to love the bride before anything amazing or cool happens. And this is the position that I want our heart to be in before we leave. Can Jesus trust you with his bride? Can you be trusted with the bride of Christ? Could you be a Marlin, a Pastor Marlin in this scenario? Where as weird as that might have been to get that phone call and say, you're where with, with who? You're with my wife and kids in my van? Super weird. But can you be trusted in that moment? 
I want Jesus to be able to trust me, not because of how good I preach or how awesome I'm, I lead. I want him to trust me because I love his bride genuinely. So that's the second thing we have to do. Here's the last thing, you ready? You have to understand that we are his will on the earth. You and I, we are his will on the earth. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was on the phone with Venmo because there was some issues with our money and I had to get my money back from Venmo. And so I was calling them and I was asking them, you know, to help me out. The problem is I don't have a Venmo account. My wife has a Venmo account. And so I was calling on behalf of her. And she, the lady that I was talking to said this, okay, well, you know, I need to talk to your wife before I let you, you know, deal with this stuff. And I was like, oh, so annoying. I was outside. I had to walk all the way back inside. And I was like, hey, Emily, can you just tell this lady that I can talk for you? And she talked to the lady and the lady said something that kind of made me a little interested. She said, Emily, do you, are you allowing your husband to represent you? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, thank you very much. Now let's get on with this, right? <laughs> and I proceeded to, you know, get my money back and do what I needed to do. But it was interesting because I feel like Jesus, Jesus has done the same thing for us. That Jesus, for whatever reason, I don't know why he does this. I don't know why God has set things up like this. Like I think about it often and I'm like, God, there, surely there could have been a better way of doing things than Jesus coming down on the earth, gathering a bunch of 12 boys like, and entrusting the entirety of the gospel to these little boys. Like, has anybody ever been in youth group before? Like, I'm not trusting those kids to change a light bulb, let alone with the gospel. And this is what Jesus did. He rested everything on these 12 boys, and then he left. He said, all right, see you later. Go and preach the gospel to the entire earth. I'll see you. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. It's like, whoa, Jesus, don't go yet. Just at least wait till they turn 25, right? At least you know, let them get a little bit older. But no, he, he, gave, he gave them everything, all the responsibility. And this is still what the Holy Spirit's doing today. You and I, we are his representation on this earth. Oftentimes for us, like think about this, non-believers, they don't read the Bible. People who don't believe in Jesus, they don't listen to you know, Maverick City and worship. People who don't believe in Jesus, they don't have any connection with God. The only thing that they see that has anything, any sort of connection with God is you. That's the only thing that they'll ever see. Like they're not gonna read the Bible, they're gonna read your life. They're not gonna, they're not gonna listen to worship music, they're gonna watch what you make important in your life. You are the gospel to everyone around you. You are his will on this earth. Look at what Jesus says in the book of Matthew. This is part of his prayer. He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the responsibility that you and I have. We are his representation here on earth. That means this, we've got to stop praying for things and start becoming the answer for things. Like, like hear this, okay? Because James, James lays this out very clearly. He says, listen, what good is it if you see somebody that's cold and naked and doesn't have any clothes, and you say, hey, I'm gonna pray that you be warm in the name of Jesus. Jesus, warm them. <sighs> warm, warm, warm. <laughs> says, what, what good is that if you don't just give them a coat? <laughs> we can over-spiritualize things oftentimes and say, oh, you're, you're going through that, you have a need, you're struggling, oh, you need, you, know, you need help here, you need help there, I'll pray for you. 
Why? Jesus already knows that they need. You don't have to remind Jesus what somebody else needs. He knows that already. He doesn't need you to pray. He needs you to be the answer. He needs you to step in and say, you know what? I am God's representation here on earth. Don't, don't ask me to pray for anything. What do you need? Let me fill in. Let me be the answer. Let me be the solution to your problem because I am his representation here. No, no, no. You don't need to pray for that. What can I do? We don't need to pray. What, what do you need? I can give it to you. I can be that answer. Let me show you what Jesus looks like and not tell you about him. You know, one of the coolest testimonies I've, I've heard, I heard this a couple days ago at church, but this, this, one of the ladies that goes to our Valley View campus, after hearing this message, she um, was talking to this other girl that goes to our church, and this girl's really struggling. She's really struggling. She has uh, two little kids, and she's just really going through a hard time. And and this lady said, normally I would just pray for them. But after hearing this message, what she did is she opened up her home to this lady. And now she watches her children during the day so that this woman can go to work and do what she needs to do. And she said, listen, this is one of the most non-spiritual things I've ever done in my life. But I feel like I am being the solution and not just, not just praying for people. I'm actually doing what Jesus would do in this scenario. And I said, that's right. You don't need to pray all the time. A lot of times you need to do stuff. A lot of times it's adjusting your life to serve somebody in need, to giving to somebody in need. And as the church, this is what we have to do. If we're gonna, we have to love him, we have to love his bride, and then we have to understand that no one's gonna know who Jesus is if we don't show them who he is. Jesus will, that Jesus will not be known on this earth if we don't show them who Jesus is. We are his ambassadors on this earth. And so if there's a need that arises in this house or out of this house, Man, we should have a fight to be able to be the first one to meet that need. No, no, I want to meet it. I want to do it. I want to serve here. I want to go there. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of bringing who Jesus is to this earth. That's what we're called to do. And so if we get to this point where we're loving Jesus really well, we're loving his bride, we want to be the solution. Now what you and I need to do is look for that one opportunity. We need to look for that one opportunity. So you don't need to be the answer to every single problem in your life. But what you do need to do is find that one person that doesn't have a coat and give them a coat. Find that one person that has a need. Find that one area, maybe even here in this church, that there's a need represented and say, Pastor Mary, I want to do it. I want to fill that need. So, so often, we have, to, we have to oftentimes make sure the need fits our talent pool or our resources. Like if, 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 you know, Pastor Mary's like, hey, I need, I need help in this area. And we're like, oh, I'm not good in that area. I can't help you. It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I, I understand that. But the truth is, is that you can help because the Bible says this, says that everything you need pertaining to life and godliness is on the inside of you. So to disqualify yourself from helping, like we do this, we make the need about us. We make this need about us, like, oh, I can't fill that need, or I don't want to fill that need. It's not about you. It's about him. Like, the need is about him. It's about serving the heart of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. You bring to Jesus what you do have, and he fills in the rest. 
We see that with the story of the, the, the fish and the loaves, right? They didn't have enough to feed 5,000, but they brought Jesus what they had and he filled in the rest. So I wanna dismantle every ounce of insecurity in this room that to, would say, I don't have the intelligence to serve here. I can't do this. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough gifting to be in this area. Forget all that. Bring what you have and let God fill in the rest because you don't have to come perfect. You don't have to come already done or completed. All you have to do is be obedient and come. And when you do that, Jesus can use your life to transform this world. Come on, do me a favor and stand to your feet today as we pray and as we close this message. This is my encouragement to us today. Don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed with life. Find the one the one person, the one area, the one thing, the one opportunity, the one need, and fill it. And don't feel like you're too insignificant or you're not making a difference because when you do anything to that one, it's as if you're serving Jesus. I bet you right now, if Jesus walked into this room, every single one of us would get up and figure out what we could do to, to make him feel important, to make him feel special, to serve him. Jesus, can I get you some water? Can I do this? Can I do that? You, can, you have that opportunity with those sitting in this room. When you serve those that you're seated with, those that you work with, those that are in your family, it's as if you're serving him. That's so powerful. So remember, before we do anything, we have to love well. If you don't hear anything else, hear this, fall in love with Jesus. It's the most important thing that you'll ever do, fall in love with Jesus. Don't try to, don't try to make church or giving or all of these good deeds a replacement for that. It will never be. Love him well. Love his bride. Love his church. Man, love this church. I know you love this church so well, but love it more. Love the church outside of this, these walls. Like I heard this recently, that different churches are not your competition. They're your family. Like other churches around the area, they're not like our competitors. <laughs> they're our brothers and sisters. Different churches that don't necessarily believe the same thing, they're not our enemies. They're our family. And we have to love the bride of Christ. And finally, you have to understand this, that, that Jesus isn't gonna come down from heaven and do what he's called you to do. He's, he's not, he's, Jesus isn't coming here anymore. Even when he comes back, the Bible says this, that he's coming to meet us in the sky. He's not coming back here. And oftentimes we pray that God would come and do the things that we should be doing. God, come down and do this. No, that's why you're here. That's why when you pray, Jesus, come into my heart, you didn't get sucked up to heaven because he left you here to do some stuff. It's why you exist here on this earth, to be his representation here. So maybe you need to stop praying less, start praying less and start doing more. Don't pray for that situation at work. Go be the answer for that situation at work. Stop praying about that thing in your family and go be the solution to that thing. You and I are all that this world has to see who the Father is like. Let's do a really good job of showing them, amen? Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together, for this opportunity to just fall in love with you more and learn about you, Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to fall in love with Jesus. Help us to love Jesus better. We don't want to go through the motions of church or tithing or giving or serving or doing any of these things like that just to do them. We want to do them because we're compelled by love. 
The same way that you were compelled by love to hang on the cross, Jesus, we want to serve you and serve your people, not not to feel good or be good, but because we are compelled by our passionate love for you, Jesus. Would you be the center of our world, the center of our life? Would you have preeminence in us that before anything, it's you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would deliver us from sarcasm, from judgment, from just condemning your bride. Maybe even now, if that's us, we just repent of that right now, Holy Spirit. We ask for your forgiveness for being overly judgmental of the bride of Christ. We're sorry, we're sorry. Would you help us to love the thing that you love the most, Jesus, your bride? Would we be seen as trustworthy people over your bride? And finally, Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand and help us to live out this truth that we are your will on this earth, that we are your representation on this earth. And instead of making our Christianity about us, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see our Christianity about the one, looking outward at what we can do, what we can fill, who we can show the goodness of God to in our life. Help us to make that mental adjustment, adjustment, Holy Spirit. We love you and we bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen. Hey, I wanna ask you two questions before we go tonight, this afternoon. First question is this, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you've walked away from him, maybe you've rejected him, or maybe you've never met him or never given your life to him. If you don't know who Jesus is, I wanna ask this question with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you say, you know what, I don't wanna leave here without without being in a, a personal relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. If you've already done it, you don't have to do it again, but on the count of three, just lift your hand up so we can pray for you. One, two, three, if that's you. That's awesome. I see those hands. Come on, church. Let's all pray this prayer together. Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, and show me Jesus. In your name I pray. Here's the second thing I want to ask you. If you're here today and you've been going through a difficult season, maybe you're struggling in an area or whatever with your your health, your finances, your relationships, one of the really cool things is that we don't have to do that by ourselves. I love what the book of Acts shows us. They lived life together. Like the book of Acts tells us that when somebody had a need, the person sitting next to them, they met the need. It It wasn't Pastor Peter who met the need. It wasn't Pastor John who met the need. It was the person, it was their neighbor that sold their property and met the need of this individual. And and the coolest thing that I love about church is that you and I, we get to be a strength to each other. We get to support one another. So I know we have some awesome pastors and leaders or altar ministers that are gonna come up now. And if you have anything that you're like, man, I I need help, I need prayer, I need guidance, I need a word, we wanna pray with you. We wanna love on you. We wanna show you Jesus before you leave this room, amen? Amen. Well, remember this, live right, love everyone, pray hard. And we'll see you guys next time. Don't forget, big happy birthday to Pastor Mary. Grab some cake on your way out, and we'll see you guys next time.